Well, first of all, I have an addition to the list of things that I didn't know that I needed, but I do know now. And that is a cool metaverse name. I need to think about <laughs> yes. one and I'll be asking Jan for tips for that. Uh, <laughs> I think it has to be Lord or Duke or, or something. Uh, yeah. And then something cool. Yeah. But yeah, I, I'll, I'll need to get back to you on that. Hey there, listener, and welcome to the 20th episode of the Metacast Roundtables. I can't believe it's already 20 episodes. It's pretty amazing. Uh, I'm your host, Nico, and today I'm joined by Mika Ahonen, Aaron Bush, and Jonathan Ras Fritman, also colloquially known in the metaverse as Lord Yonners. <laughs> Today's topics will be uh, first a little update on Roblox and uh, all the things that are happening there. Then we're talking about NFTs and player-run game economies, which are based on a piece by uh, Eric Sufert. And then uh, if we have some time, because these might be long uh, discussion topics, uh, we're also talking about Homa, Homa Games or Homa Games raising $50 million. And as today's bonus segment, we're doing a round of bold predictions about game economies. All right. Um, if you haven't already, make sure to join the Discord and subscribe to the newsletter for more of this stuff and content. And then as my piece of personal news, um, so by the time this episode airs, it will already be public, but I'm joining the Bitcraft VC team to help them invest in everything blockchain and games. Uh, will this change anything for the Metacast? No. Does this mean that I will talk about blockchain and games even more? Maybe. We'll see. <laughs> <laughs> Congratulations. That's awesome. Great fun, great people. Uh, I absolutely agree. I'm uh, super excited to uh, to be part of the team and uh, to work with uh, Pierce, for example. I'm going to be helping, taking some load off him because, uh, as you might know, the blockchain game space is quite hot right now and there's a lot of stuff happening. So, uh, Are you going to be on the token fund or uh, the general fund? Th that's not really specified, but I would mostly be helping out on the, on the blockchain and, and crypto and NFT side of things. Awesome. Great. Yeah. Congratulations, Nico. Great move. Thanks, man. What's new with you, Jan? It's been a while. It's been a while, you know, we're uh, all hands on deck. Our, our team has been growing. We've been uh, really kind of expanding some of the core operating capabilities at Super Social as we starting to have games that are live on the Roblox platform, you know, Gustopia, our spooky RPG is live. We're just uh, wrapping up a great partnership with the Warner, uh, with MGM and the Adams Family 2 brand. Uh, it's been fantastic. Cool. We've also had a, one of the biggest gaming YouTubers, uh, doing a video on the game completely organic and drove more than a million views and a lot of folks to the game so that's been wow. fun we got our second experience live pirates versus ninjas um, a really unique kind of innovative take on the pirates versus ninjas concept with a first person shooter uh, that's part of super social lab so that's live now um, and then you know just incredible amount of opportunities uh, across multiple different content verticals um, and yeah, continuing to build a great, fully remote organization, you know, around trust, determination, joy. It's been it's been fun, but it's great to be back. And I know we got a, a lot to talk about. Cool. All right, Mika, what's new with you? Well, first of all, I have an addition to the list of things that I didn't know that I needed, but I do know now. And that is a cool metaverse name. I need to think about <laughs> yes. one, and I'll be asking Jan for tips <laughs> for that. Uh, <laughs> I think it has to be 
lord or duke or or something uh, yeah and then something cool yeah but yeah i i need to get back to you on that um <laughs> but yeah i mean like I, i look out it's almost november so it's the, like the the finnish season like reading to say that it's dark uh and gloomy but uh mm-hmm. but honestly like uh i'm actually not actually too bothered about it this this time around uh darkness is the best time to make new games plus i mean like uh we, we're actually back at the office um so i feel that's giving me like a really nice nice burst of energy as well so so no complaints all right aaron what's new with you um well i learned today that the the current issue of master of the meta is issue number 100 so that's a nice round milestone to hit that i'm i'm pretty excited about and you know you know just kind of reflecting back like extremely grateful and you know humbled (laughs) you know when i look at the list look at the team that has been built when i started master of the meta i had no no plans or ambitions really i just kind of did it because i was bored and was passionate about the industry and then something happened and now you know we're turning that you know that spark into a business and just trying to like figure figure out where we go so yeah i mean it's it's an awesome milestone and grateful to you know people like mika for being there for most of that journey and yeah just inspired by you know what everyone here is doing so that you know Navik can follow in all of your footsteps too and building something yeah it's been it's been my pleasure it's a really cool format that that you've built man because Aaron like two years ago decided to write a little newsletter about the gaming industry that's why we're the four of us are now doing this podcast it's crazy huh yeah it's been so serendipitous and I'm yeah so grateful the best coffee brews slowly Look at that. Wisdom from Lord Yonders. All right. <laughs> <laughs> All right. With that, let's, um, let's start talking about some, uh, some game stuff. Um, the first topic, news from the Roblox Developer Conference. So last week, Roblox hosted its annual Developer Conference. Um, and I would give a short intro myself, but that wouldn't make any sense because we have Mr. Roblox himself on the panel. So uh, please, Jan, you want to... You wanna Give us what we need to take away from uh, from the conference last week. Yeah, you know, it's been a, a it was a phenomenal uh, developer conference. Uh, first, we had a, a a good a good amount of folks from our team attending in person, and then, you know, the other people uh, on the team kind of together congregated on Discord, on our server to watch it together live. Um, there's been a, a really a, a phenomenal list of, of updates and innovations that are coming down the pipeline from the Roblox platform. Um, and, and you know, I want to kind of call out a few of them and and really not just talk about the technology and what it means, but also what, what's kind of the impact and the outcome that is going to make uh, for developers and, and for people who are uh, on the platform, you know, users, fans, etc., and so on and so forth. Um, and so, you know, the, the first thing is um, there, there are three key things that come out of the Roblox Developer Conference. Um, the first one is technologies and updates and innovations that are going to make the worlds in Roblox more immersive and with much more depth and fidelity. So, you know, I'm going to talk about that. Um, The second thing is it's going to get more personal, meaning there's going to be more opportunities for personal expression for the players, for the users. And the third is 
the ecosystem is getting stronger, even stronger, the ecosystem and the economy. So these are kind of the three key pillars that I think coming out of the Roblox Developer Conference, if you really kind of start to uh, uh, unpack some of the things that they've announced. So for example, when we talk about immersive worlds and depth, um, you have um, the, 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 the immersive rendering and the simulation technology that they've announced, right? And, and that would allow, you know, one, greater fidelity for the look and feel of the experiences. And, you know, obviously for us as a developer and publisher of original content, that's exciting. We're going to be able to build even higher fidelity experiences. Um, and, and it's going to enable photorealistic visuals. And so, you know, when, when people think of Roblox, they don't think about photorealistic visuals. They think Unreal. But the truth is that the Roblox engine, what Roblox is capable, capable of as a technical infrastructure is really progressing at an incredible speed and it's getting closer and closer to what you might expect and see from an unreal engine and i think that's impressive um so so you know more immersive worlds more depth higher fidelity of graphics that's one big update coming out the second thing about personal expression and i think there it kind of combines couple of elements few elements the first one is all the avatar updates um They've announced these dynamic, uh, dynamic heads. It's a technology that basically will enable better facial expressions and emotions from the, from the avatars. Again, making things that are even more diverse, moving on from the blocky look and feel of Roblox avatars. They're going to keep it, but the type of avatars that we're going to be able to have as users uh, and the type of characters we're going to be able to create as developers are really going to be exciting. And the second thing is layered clothing. That's another update that they've announced recently, which is really exciting. It means more, you know, combinations and complications of clothing on the platform. And that's going to come to life through the ability of creators to build, you know, avatar items that we can then purchase. Uh, and so that kind of blew us away as a team and what, you know, we get excited about creating. And that's going to push personal expression from the avatar expression standpoint forward. Um, the other piece that is really going to contribute to personal um, expression is the spatial voice. You're going to be able to play more and more Roblox experiences and world that are going to allow you, you know, to communicate and talk to people who are in proximity to you in the game. Um, that's very powerful. Um, obviously, that's going to be protected by their age verification. You're going to have to verify your age which will only increase the safety and trust of the platform, you know, by people, by users, by families, by parents. Um, I think that's actually something that Roblox continues to double down and probably among all big technology companies, potentially they're at the forefront of, you know, what they call safety, trust and civility and building a, a metaverse environment that is safe for, for, for users and players. Um, the, the third piece um, which also involves kind of um, a few components of updates is the ecosystem is getting stronger and, 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 and even more powerful for the community. And, and, you know, the things that are important there is first and foremost, the open cloud that they've announced. I mean, this is really a game changer um, 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 uh, component for the Roblox platform. You know, they're going to release basically API-based tools for developers. So imagine the Roblox Studio essentially being uh, connected to the cloud and you're able to develop tools and, 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 and tool chains and applications that other developers can use 
Probably you can also monetize that as a developer. So you could be a developer that build developer tools for the Roblox platform. You're going to be able to have more flexibility with how you build on the Roblox Studio when it's connected to the cloud. Um, and so that's really uh, an incredible update that is going to strengthen the ecosystem of developers around the platform. Um, the, the, the other thing that I've already mentioned, uh, I'm just going to repeat that, the age verification to continue and build that trust of the platform. Um, and then lastly, very exciting update, the limited editions uh, um, that creators are going to be able to create um, and, and, and then being able to resell them and continue to have royalties based on those items. And I think here, Roblox is taking a quick inspiration from, um, you know, decentralized uh, application and, 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 you know, open economies and, and, and NFTs and really enabling uh, functionalities where creators can <clears throat> create and continue to monetize their creations even after they've already sold it on the marketplace. Which, by the way, is the last update. Roblox next year at some point are going to open their UGC marketplace to all creators. At the moment, it's limited. Um, um, there's, I think, less than a couple of hundred uh, creators on their marketplace at the moment. Uh, this is only in, the, in, in this year because Roblox have have only been building it themselves. So, you know, they're going to open it up next year. And I think it's going to be, you're going to see an explosion of avatar items, avatar accessories. So, you know, if you connect the personal expression element that we talked about, avatar being more complex and and and, and more um, diverse with the type of uh, face expression, the type of movement, the type of body parts you can create. If you connect that with the spatial voice, uh, uh, with the spatial uh, tech and with the limited edition items um, and with the creator, the UGC program being open to all creators, you know, I think 2022 is going to be explosive in terms of avatar creativity, um, items, accessories, and more and more creators coming into the platform to create for you know the growing population of people now at around almost 50 million daily active users on the platform. So. These are kind of, I think, the big updates coming out from, you know, the Roblox developer platform from last week, which, which, which I think are really transformative. Cool. Thanks for that. Um, I would like to talk about, like, how do you see this fitting into Roblox's strategy moving forward? Um, Aaron, what are your thoughts on that? I mean, I mean, in general, I'm just super impressed <laughs> by everything they're doing. And my favorite part of the news isn't even really one particular thing. I'm just impressed that Roblox is building and innovating on so many dimensions at once, right? Developer tools, social tools, personalization features, monetization enhancements, et cetera. And it's one of those situations where Roblox's like competitive boat is deepening because not only are they so far ahead of their competitors, um, but their speed of execution at an ever larger scale is widening the distance between them and other platforms. And right, I mean, that doesn't mean they're perfect, can be complacent, or that others can't also, um, you know, carve out audiences and win. But they're in a really good spot. So, I mean, what does that tell me about their future strategy? Um, well, I guess frankly, I just expect <laughs> continued uh, innovation along many of these same dimensions for a long time. Like continued, like improvements in developer tools, better avatars, better and more diverse worlds, more economic opportunities, more ways to socialize. And there's a circular relationship between all of that. You know, if Roblox can better empower developers and the developers can better empower users, we'll then spend more time and money in the app, which then gives Roblox more capital to reinvest back into other continued improvements to again help developers, etc. And the more 
improvements are made and the time is spent on the platform, the more culturally relevant a platform like Roblox can become too, which is you know similar but different to other consumer platforms of the past, like Netflix, Instagram, etc. So, you know, I, I really just think that like swift, steady improvement along numerous dimensions for several years will unlock continued compounding um, of development and engagement. And people might be surprised by where that compounding ultimately takes the platform. Mm -hmm. yeah, great execution. What were your thoughts, uh, Mika? Uh, personally, I've never developed uh, for Roblox. So kind of all of this is super interesting. And, uh, and also like I'm just pretty much following the platform from the news. And uh, so I'm not as intimately familiar with it as, as Jon, for example. Uh, it does definitely seem like they are shipping a lot uh, just in terms of developing their platform, uh, which makes it more difficult for uh, any up-and-coming competitors uh, to take any space in the market. Uh, it feels like they have a pretty dominant position in, in what they do right now. I don't know what Jon thinks about it. Yeah, no, I, I, I agree with what Mika said, and I want to echo what, what Aaron said. Um, Roblox is proving that they are able to consistently expand and innovate on what they've built so far. Uh, they have been doing it steadily for the past 15 years. I mean, you're talking about a very innovative company. You're talking about a company that for the past 15 years have steadily have, steadily have been building this infrastructure that we now call sort of a metaverse platform. Um, and they've been doing it consistently. And I think what you're seeing now, you're seeing the fruits of that consistency. Now it's completely being amplified by the fact that they're a $50 billion market cap company, but the fact that they have 50 million daily active users, by the fact that they have more than a million developers and creators on their platform, but the fact that they have built an incredible organization and a very... Uh, promising executive team with people from places like Google and YouTube and, and, and others. So you're just seeing consistent <clears throat> execution by a company and a platform that is founder-led. Um, and I will say this, um, I still, obviously I'm very bullish on, on the platform. Uh, we are fully focusing on the platform at the moment. I think we're still in the early days of Roblox as a platform, but it's already ahead of the curve and several years ahead of probably any other competitor in that kind of marketplace platform, um, 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 uh, you know, landscape. Um, you know, I, I have a lot of respect for other companies, which obviously we're excited about and we're looking at. But, you know, if you look at Fortnite Creative Mode, who want to become a platform, if you look at Rec Room, if you look at um, Core from Manticore, all of them are doing phenomenal things. But when you look at where Roblox is from a platform standpoint, from what's possible, from the economy, from the fact that all content on the platform is built by developers who are not working for Roblox. They don't, they're not part of Roblox. Um, I think we're in the early days. The level of passion, the level of talent of the creators and the developers on the platform is just phenomenal. And these are still young creators. My, in, in my opinion, and it's just my perspective, what you're going to see over the next five years from what's being built on the Roblox platform by Roblox creators and developers is going to blow people's mind. I think the future of AAA to some extent is being built now on the Roblox platform. I think mega franchises will be built on the Roblox platform. 
This is where we are 2021. I cannot even imagine what's going to be possible on the Roblox platform in 2025. Um, and the scale of the economy and the size of, of the platform and the payouts provided to creators, I think we're, they're on to a, a very promising um, uh, trajectory. And as if they, especially if they continue to Aaron's point, to consistently build and innovate and expand across all of those verticals of execution, the developer tools, the social tools, the fidelity of the games and experiences, the opportunities to make money and monetize as a creator, all of these things we're seeing consistent execution. Um, and it's it's damn impressive. And, and I think big things are coming ahead of the platform. Uh, so Jon, say that I would be like starting a game studio right now. Uh, what would be kind of the pros and cons for starting to develop for Roblox specifically? And like, like what, what, what would you think about at that point? And also, like, I have a like, continuation question as well. Why does Super Social specifically develop for Roblox? And like, could you do Ghostopia on some other platform? Like, what, what, what were kind of your alternatives when you started out? Yeah, no, that, these are great questions. And, you know, I've, I've kind of talked about that uh, about some of that publicly, uh, but you know, I think at a at a high level, what we got excited about a year and a half ago when we decided to start building for the Roblox platform as as our first chapter of the company, you know, what 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 I realized was that Roblox is sort of an era defining platform, and the reason why it's an era defining platform is not just because. At the, at the moment, it's essentially almost like the new internet homepage for a new generation. But but also it's because it sits at the intersection of four multi-billion dollar businesses. It's a game engine. And as you see, a very capable game engine. You can really rapidly build amazing 3D game worlds, multiplayer environments inside Roblox. Number two, it's a publishing and distribution platform, right? You build and you distribute inside the platform. Number three, it's a social network. More messages are sent every day by members on the Roblox platform than WhatsApp. Really? No one talks about that. Yeah, wow. that's a fact. That's really? number that is publicly available. It's yeah. insane. Right? More messages are sent between players every day in games, in between games, on the platform every day um, uh, than WhatsApp. A lot of communication is going on. And then the fourth, it's a cloud services provider. Roblox owns their data centers and they provide you all of the backend engineering, all of the cloud support, you don't need to go and figure that out. And so to your question, Mika, um, we had many, many reasons why we decided to focus on Roblox. But practically speaking, um, let's take a game like Gustopia, as you've mentioned. Um, Gustopia is a multiplayer RPG. And so if we would have gone and built it on Unity for mobile or on Unreal for, um, for a, a PC or console, it would have likely taken us at least three to five years from an idea to open beta. And probably more than 15 to 20 million dollars in funding required to do that. Building the matching system, the server side, the backend engineering, the avatar systems. I mean, you're talking about a lot of stuff that we would have we would have to do on Roblox. We have done that with Ghostopia at a fraction of the time and a fraction of the cost. I'm, I'm, I won't disclose numbers, but really at a fraction of the time and a fraction of the cost. And we've done that while building three other game worlds in 3D multiplayer environments for the Roblox platform. If I would have wanted to do that as a mobile studio or, or, or a PC uh, company, I would probably need 80 to $100 million in funding and, and about five to 10 years. 
Um, and, and we have more projects in development coming up. The downside of building for Roblox is obviously they own the user data. So we don't have access to user data. We don't have access to emails. We don't have access to demographics. We don't control directly the relationship. So, so you know, we need to build our own direct relationship and communities, which we do on discords and so on and so forth. But you don't own the data on the users. That's number one. Big, big minus. Number two, um, you're obviously dependent on, on a platform. I mean, we're all dependent on some platform, but you're obviously dependent on a, on a wall-guarded platform um, that control every aspect of the platform. There's advantages for that, but also disadvantages for that. Um, number three, um, another minus is, of course, um, they have a pretty significant take rate. In total, about 75% of revenue generated by users on the Roblox platform goes to the Roblox platform, and 25% goes to the developers and the creators. Now, obviously, you look at that and you're like, oh my God, that's completely... Uh, 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 upside down versus like mobile gaming. Uh, but then the reality is you need to think about unit economics, right? What, what, how much it costs you to build the game, what business you can build on that. And then, okay, does the unit economics make sense or not? And, you know, we've made a bet that it makes sense and it's going to make a lot of sense for us. And we're still in the early days of proving that, of course. Um, but, you know, for, for, the, for the standard observer looking at Roblox taking 75%, you know, you might say, oh my God, this is crazy. I'm never going to build for that platform, which by the way, a lot of people do say and don't build for the platform. Um, and so, you know, you, you, you just have to kind of weigh the, the, the options. You have to weigh what type of company you're building, why you're building that company. You know, we have a very clear purpose and vision for, the, for Super Social as a company. And, 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 and building on the Roblox platform was a very natural uh, step for us uh, as part of our wider vision. Thanks for the comprehensive answer. Uh, very interesting stuff, Jan. Whenever I'm uh, looking at a company and, and want to see like how good it is, um, I always look at, at two things. One, like how do their customers speak about them? And then two is how do their employees speak about them? And when, whenever I hear Jan speak about Roblox, I'm like, hmm, this company is, is doing something right. You know, it's, uh, it's really cool how passionate you are. Um, Thank you, Nico. Yeah, I think uh, you're, you're a great advocate an ambassador for Roblox. Thank you, Nico. One of the words or, or one of the things that keep coming back whenever I hear speaking about Roblox is this thing of safety and identity. Um, how important is that, you think, Jan? I think it's incredibly important. You know, we're, we're talking about uh, immersive worlds where people spend incredible amount of time, you know, as a reference point. Uh, the most recent data shows that the, the typical daily active user on Roblox spend about two and a half hours a day on the platform, which is just, you know, in, un, unbelievable, right? Um, and, and hopefully they'll spend a, a big portion of that in super social experience. <laughs> um, and, 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 and so also it's a multi-generational platform, right? The youngest users on Roblox are five, six years old. The oldest are obviously, you know, about 20, 25, but also, you know, myself, I'm, you know, I'm 38, I'm, I'm on Roblox a lot. Um, and so when I think about my niece, when I think about my baby girl, when I think about other, you know, people from all ages all over the world that are part of the Roblox ecosystem. And if you think about historically Roblox starting as a place where kids was, were basically learning to code and building, you know, 3D uh, uh, assets for themselves to, to play with, uh, with the physics engine, um, it's incredibly important that, especially in the age where the internet is, feels almost completely lack privacy. Um, there's 
safety and, and privacy concerns. Um, I think it's ever more important that the next generation, the, the next era defining social platforms are putting at the forefront trust, safety, and civility. And it's not just because of kids, which is obviously incredibly critical that we can protect young kids below 13 um, from, you know, the, the kind of the dangers of the internet or, or the things that uh, they should not be exposed to. But I think it's for all of us. We all, we all want to be part of trusted, safe communities. We all want to be part of places where we can enjoy, get to know people, socialize, and do so in a way that doesn't feel like we're compromising on our privacy or on our safety. And so I think Roblox, have, from day one as a company for the past 15 years, they've been putting an effort on that. Um, I think they talk about it internally and publicly of trust, safety, and civility being one of the most important strategic pillars of their execution. Uh, and I think for the world we're going, where we can have multiple identities, multiple environments where, that we are part of, being able to trust the platforms uh, that we are part of, that they're not going to sell our data, that they're not going to take advantage of the free services that they provide, I think that's very critical, and I think it's a great statement, statement uh, that Roblox should and will continue likely to make. Hmm. All right, interesting. Um, when you're saying, like, hey, you're talking about Roblox being a dominant platform in the next years and, and growing even more, uh, whenever I hear about that, and I, I might be slightly biased here, but I always think about uh, when we're talking economies, there might be some some Web3 or crypto involved. You already talked about that where, with their, uh, what's it called, limited edition items. They have some you know, some aspects of NFTs that they took into there. Um, how do you think uh, about Roblox implementing with, you know, Web3 and, and blockchain technology? You know, it's, it's obviously time will tell. I think there is probably a lot of philosophies that they may want to adapt. What you just saw them announcing, you know, as you called out the, um, the limited items, the ability to have, uh, 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 to resell and have royalties on the resale, um, and so I expect maybe Roblox adopting more and more of these fundamentals and philosophies from NFTs and crypto. Um, I think it might be a bit challenging to conceive of Roblox opening up and becoming an open platform where you can really take assets from Roblox to another platform. You know, maybe if there is a, a, a compelling consortium that includes Epic Games and, and another one or two companies. Um, you know, very curious about Aaron's POV on that because I, I know that Aaron and I talked about it in the past. But I, I, I think you we, we have to keep in mind that Roblox is a comprehensive platform in and of itself. It's a very large economy already that is only growing with scale. Um, and I, I don't see necessarily in the any time in the near future Roblox sort of opening up and allowing you to take items from the platform, sell it on a different platform. I don't see that happening, but I can envision Roblox adopting more and more elements from the crypto world, from the centralized world, from NFTs, um, just like they're starting to do now. And I think if this experiment with the limited item and the resale royalties works, um, that would encourage them to experiment with more characteristics of, of you know, Web3 and how they bring Web3 into their growing platform. And by the way, I think more companies who are quote unquote Web2, like Roblox, Facebook and others, I think are going to have to bring some of these elements in. I'm just not sure if they open up completely. I don't see how that happens in the near future. Mm -hmm. That's just my POV. Yeah, and, and I'll add to that briefly. I mean, I think it, it comes down to trade-offs. Neither centralization nor 
decentralization is inherently good or evil. There are just trade-offs that companies and teams have to make. And um, in my opinion, Roblox really is a testament to the unique good that centralization can bring. Um, Roblox like it is today, it wouldn't be possible if it weren't for centralized infrastructure, a centralized team and decision-making. The safety features, you know, are a byproduct of a lot of that centralized decision-making and infrastructure too. Um, but, you know, doing that has implications. It means that it can't just change its infrastructure or way of operating on a whim. And in this case, you know, their moves are probably limited because of that, but also because of what something like the App Store uh, like allows right now. So, you know, in, in my mind, like it's a decision based more on what's realistic, not necessarily what is like ideologically, um, you know, potentially just like best in the big scheme of the Internet. So. Um, yeah, I mean, I think I agree with Jan that, um, you know, we're probably not going to start seeing Roblox build on Ethereum anytime soon. Although, you know, maybe maybe that's like down the roadmap at some point. Who knows? But I think it, it also just opens up the broader point that centralization, decentralization, however you want to think about that, like it's not entirely binary. Like you will, like you will see... Um, centralized teams and organizations take on certain characteristics, certain benefits that we see Web3 bring. And I also think on the flip side, like decentralization in some cases might go too far. And some, and some more decentralized operations will start to learn the benefits that having centralized decision-making and centralized operations in certain avenues, like how, how that can bring. And we're seeing that play out in, in games right now, even like Axie Infinity, which is kind of the poster child of the play to earn movement, like they're trying to figure out how to shift into a more decentralized, um, you know, organization, which is going to be really hard. Um, and if it's hard for them, then it's going to be extremely hard for everyone else. So anyways, yeah, I just think the, the binary decision or the binary view of things is going to fall apart a little bit. And we'll just start to realize, start like picking the pieces that make the most sense uh, that help build whatever, vision these teams and organizations are trying to push forward to and i would i would just add i would just add that i i do envision companies like roblox adopting to aaron's point blockchain technologies blockchain i only but only if it makes sense and it enables them to deliver on the bigger vision that they have for the metaverse platform that they want to create and how they continue to push what developers create, how they continue to better serve users and players, and how they continue to build safe, uh, trusted environments for their communities. As long as they can do that, I'm sure being a founder-led company also, they would be open-minded to these emerging technologies like blockchain, crypto, and so on and so forth. And we're very, very in the early days of that. So. I think a lot is going to happen over the next five to 10 years. There's a lot to be excited about. Um, and I love the fact that, you know, companies like Roblox is, is founder led. They have that bigger long term vision that they've been pursuing for 15 years. They have a much better chances of success of making those evolutions than, you know, a publicly traded uh, interactive entertainment or gaming company that that is led by, you know, a five-year-old, uh, uh, you know, executive or, or a CEO that 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 hasn't been there from the beginning, and maybe their long-term approach is is a bit different than a founder mentality. And I mean, once a company owns a platform in a way that Roblox does, uh, essentially, it's uh, a very lucrative world card, and mm -hmm. it's kind of a, a conflict of interests uh, to open it up. Uh, 
it might be sometimes better for the developers or better for the consumers, but oftentimes it's actually not in the benefit of the of the company itself. So 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 it's really hard to make those decisions. I mean, even even if you would be Roblox and 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 nimble and still kind of uh, operated by the by the by the founders, it's not easy to make those decisions when you're still uh, trying to grow the revenue of the company, trying to hold on to the pieces of the company. Mm-hmm. Uh, then the argument is that okay, at some time in the future, if uh, let's say decentralized models would be more uh, kind of the the ind- industry standard competition elsewhere might come and kind of take the place of the centralized behemoths. Uh, but once once you own the own, own once you're in that position to to operate your world garden, it's pretty hard to uh, give it away. Yeah, I fully agree. I, I feel like. It wouldn't make sense for for Roblox like to to push for that, and I feel like, and this might be a bold prediction, but if like from all the gaming companies with market cap higher than let's say fifty billion, I think Roblox will probably be be one of the la- latest ones to start implementing this this blockchain technology. Just just because I don't feel like it, it would benefit them too much, uh, especially with with what they have now. Um, all right, that said, let's move on to our second topic, which ties in nicely to what we've been discussing just now. Um, so topic two is um, based on a piece by Eric Sufert. Um, and so you, some of you gaming podcast listeners might know him from the, the Deconstructor of Fun Twig podcast. So he wrote a piece on his mobile dev memo blog called NFTs, Ultima Online and Player Run Economies. It's a pretty long piece, um, but it's definitely worth a read. Uh, and there's quite a lot of on, to unpack, but generally he looks at Ultima Online as the original, the OG successful player-run economy, and he uses that model to propose some insights of what a successful NFT-based economy could look like. So I'll, I'll now give like a brief summary of his main points specifically about these NFTs economies, and then we can dive in. So first he talks about the promise of NFTs for games. There's four. First, the marketplace isn't controlled or operated by the game developer. Then there's transparency, so you can always see how many of each item there is um, and do real-time price discovery, etc. There's also fractional ownership possible. We've already discussed that, where you can fractionalize NFTs. And then uh, players can sell their in-game assets at will to anyone they want, so the developer is not involved or cannot block them. Right, so these are the promises of NFTs for games and then the essential requirements for such games, there are three. So one of the essential requirements, he he argues, is that the value of these in-game assets is not determined by an inflow of new players to the game. So if you hear that, you probably immediately think about Axie Infinity that currently feels like the growth is led by just more people getting in and having to buy, you know, the Axies to get playing. Um, And so he argues that that is well, you should avoid that, or that cannot be the, the main determination uh, for the value of, of these uh, these NFTs. Then the second point is that um, NFTs need to contribute to core gameplay. And then third, they need to be derived from some combination of in-game resources or items that are freely accessible and can be harvested by players without participating in the NFT trade. So that one, curious to have your, your thoughts about. And then finally, um, so we just talked about the essential requirements. And finally, there's some design choices that fulfill these requirements. So he talks about some some best practices that he would do when designing an an um, NFT-based game. So first, non-permanence of items. So items or NFTs can decay or disappear upon death or something like that. Then there is derived scarcity. 
so NFTs are ultimately based on a limited lease resource like land. And there he draws the parallel to housing in Ultima Online. So you can buy as many houses as you want, but you can only build a house on a plot of land and land is limited. So in the end, actually houses are also limited. And then finally, there's intrinsic utility. So value should be derived beyond speculative potential. Um, so you should be able to have immediate value from NFTs and not just hope that someone else will be wanting to buy it from a higher price uh, from you in the future. So in general, I think it's a, it's a very thoughtful piece. Um, and although I don't fully agree with everything, I think it's a great basis for discussion. So uh, so yeah, let's start building on the piece. Um, so let's go back first to the, the promises of NFTs for games. We have already covered this, uh, but I'm curious to hear if there's anything specific you agree, disagree with, or anything you'd add. Mika, you want to you kick this off? I mean, um, in general, I think it's quite safe to say that Eric has a pretty good grasp of economics. So, <laughs> so I, I think, like, I mean, the post, post is, is good and, uh, and well written, like, like most of uh, Eric's posts are. I think, like, what you, what you mentioned about the, the promise itself, it was four things, right? So, so market praise, place, uh, transparency, fractional ownership. Uh, and uh, but that's uh, pretty much it, because I think the fourth one was just about selling in-game stuff which is basically same as the yeah. marketplace uh I, I think that's pretty pretty kind of uh even self-explanatory um the the later parts are i think what what makes more interesting discussions um i guess in whole like like a uh, uh the whole thing about marrying distributed ledger with games it's like there's two obvious routes to go with uh one is about collectibles, uh, where the whole phenomenon is like collecting art or antique or Magic the Gathering God cards. Mm -hmm. uh, I've heard some people also invest in art. Um, and the second kind of uh, obvious route is, is more about virtual economies in games. And to, to me, it feels like uh, like Eric's piece was also more about kind of this part. <laughs> so, so there's an actual virtual economy uh, where players see value in the in-game items. And uh, and then basically taking Ultima Online as a reference to kind of tying its virtual economy to a uh, imaginary world where you could actually have a distributed ledger that that uh, contains the information of the ownership of these virtual items. Mm. I also actually think that this um, kind of the virtual economy side of the 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 whole problem is the more interesting uh, problem to solve. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Aaron, what do you think? Yeah, I mean, in general, I, I thought it was a good essay, and um, I generally agree with a lot of what he has to say. I think where I get nervous is when you start building frameworks around uh, around things when the creative surface area is so wide and mm. there are so many different types of games that can be made. Um, so a lot of what he says, I think they're probably like generally good like rules of thumb as starting places for... Um, people who are thinking about, you know, building these things, but there will also be plenty of exceptions. Um, and so with the, the promise of NFTs for games, I mean, I think I, I generally agree with most of the points here. Player-owned economy means the developer has to be less hands-on and less restrictive about how a player decides to buy, sell, and trade in-game assets. Marketplace transparency <laughs> makes a great sense to me too. And I think um, there should be more work done to better integrate and embed like a lot of these third-party marketplaces more into the core experience like that that feels like a divide that like 
in time with like the right APIs and things like would be a really cool experience to get that, um, you know, better integrated. You know, maybe the point that I, I kind of question in this first uh, section is fractional ownership. I think there are places it can make sense. And, you know, I look fondly upon like DAOs coming together to purchase something like a CryptoPunk that they collectively share and then they collectively rock as their, their many people's profile pictures. But, you know, I think that doesn't easily translate to games and can lead to funky game design decisions. For example, like if you have a legendary sword in a game and it's fractionally owned, Surely, like surely, it's not in everyone's inventory that owns it, where they could like all use it at the same time or something like that. And if not, like, w- like what's the point? How do the owners who can't use it get value from that? And so, I think um, you know when you kind of go from the macro to the micro, a lot of the details just play out in ways that can't be over frameworked. Uh, but I, I generally agree with what he's talking about here. Before I, I, I let Jan say his thing, I want to disagree with what you just said at the end. I think the fractional ownership, when you talk about a sword, I think I can, I can imagine that like it, it, it sounds really weird. But then the way I look at it is, let's say we're not talking about a sword, but let's say we talk about a piece of land, for example, right? Um, where you as a guild can have this fractional ownership and you have some shared you know, uh, buildings that you need, blacksmith to repair your shit, whatever. I'm, I'm just talking about this, this random type of game where this fractional ownership actually does make sense. Um, additionally, if you have like a very legendary sword that's worth, let's say, millions of dollars that no one person would ever buy, if you have the fractional ownership um, and this weapon gives you an advantage with doing dungeons or whatever, you can have like, you can rent it out or book it for a slot where you can actually go use it. Um, And that way, at least like you can be part of a group that shares user, uh, I mean, the use of this, this type of asset. So I think there it's, I mean, yeah, it kind of does make sense. I feel um, to, to have this. Yeah. I mean, it's not, yeah, it's not unlike raiding with your guild in a, in an MMO and getting a legendary weapon and then deciding who gets to use it. Mm. Although you all agree, you all actually own it in a way. I mean, like technically, right yeah, now yeah. you actually give it to the person yeah. who, who, uh, who will use it. But like that's the use case for that, yeah, right? Exactly. So then, that would actually be the guild's property, and then the guild decides who gets to use mm-hmm. it. Yeah, I mean, I I actually like agree with you, Nico. I think there is a place for it. I just. Uh, it gets complicated <laughs> and, and like different games, like when developers are trying to create rules and how things are to be done, like it might not actually be the best fit for every single um, yeah, game. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, I mean, it, it could make a sense a lot of places. Maybe developers should try to figure that out, but um, I don't know. It, it seems, uh, yeah, I don't know if it, it just makes sense everywhere all the time. I mean, we're talking about financial instruments. They are kind of inherently complicated. <laughs> Um, I personally missed one big promise of NFTs, and this again might be my, you know, super wishful thinking. But I feel like one of the promises of NFTs is also, let's take it back to this kind of legendary sword, that you can have different games being built on certain assets, which would mean that let's say that the traditional game is a kind of, you know, dungeon crawler game where you can, you know, um, find cool gear whenever you, you beat a dungeon and then you have better gear and then you can go for, to a higher level dungeon, etc. Um, but the promise of NFTs is that there's a company actually building, uh, let's say, a PvP game 
um, where you can actually go and take that sword and actually use it in some other type of experience. Um, uh, yeah, anyway, so, so that's one of the promises, this, this interoperability of assets and, and, and stuff. By the way, by the way, you can do that on Roblox today, right? You, you can do that on Roblox today, right? I know we're talking about NFTs and blockchain and stuff like that. Roblox is a massive economy. You can do that today. We're, we're, these are the type of stuff we're doing and will do as super social, right? Enabling you to take items from one game to another, building that sort of comprehensive environment. Um, that's an example of how blockchain is a phenomenal thing as a philosophy, not just necessarily as a technology you use. Um, and, and, and that's why I think it's such a phenomenal innovation. Mm -hmm that is really gonna change a lot in the way the world operates. Is there, is there ever gonna be another company, so not super social, that is gonna build an experience that will include the items from, from, from your games? Who knows? Who knows? <laughs> Who knows, that's true, that's fair. All right, let, let's move on to then the essential requirements that he describes. So one, he says that the value of in-game assets should not be determined by an inflow of new players. Uh, NFTs should contribute to core gameplay and are not mere collectibles. Um, and three, then they need to be derived from um, some combination of in-game resources that are freely accessible and can be harvested without participating in the NFT trade. Uh, thoughts on that? Let's start with you, uh, Aaron. Um, yeah, I mean, again, I generally agree with most of what he has to say, um, but also can't help but think that there are exceptions in certain ways. Mm. So for example... Um, you know, the value of Axies and Axie Infinity is very much a byproduct of the inflow of new players. And the value proposition would likely fall apart if new players dried up. Um, you know, it's not a Ponzi scheme like some people say it is. It's not, you know, immoral, um, but it is, you know, Ponzi-esque in its sustainability. So, you know, I guess my, my point is that, like, Axie created a multi-billion dollar token economy by building the economy in a way that is propped up by new players. And that success gives them plenty of resources to update the game in lots of new ways that hopefully will solve for that in the future. So, you know, maybe different rules can apply, you know, at different stages of maturity. Um, you know, a lot of games, like, they're not like this static thing. They're like an ongoing evolution. And at different stages of your evolution, maybe different rules um, can apply. Or, you know, just different things become more important at different times. Um, I also, you know, think that, it's important for NFTs to have some utility in games. However, you know, that's not to say like pure cosmetic NFT items can't mm -hmm. also play a role because people often value that kind of thing, even if it doesn't have, you know, like booster stats in some way. So again, like I think different games could see success in different ways and not every game should kind of take the learnings from MMORPGs like Ultima Online if they are something else entirely um and you know i also think it, it is wise to have most all um nfts be accessible to anyone if they put in the right amount of effort in the game um again there will be exceptions like maybe special edition items designed for early supporters or something but um you know it's important i think for setting a level playing field if you're trying to build something sustainable mm -hmm. for everyone mm -hmm. i agree mika uh, I mean, I, I'm usually a proponent of being quite specific, but actually these requirements seems a bit too specific. Uh, I think they apply for all the ultimate example, mm -hmm. but probably not for uh, every single case out there. Uh, I had actually the same thought that Aaron had about contributing the core gameplay. 
Um, I think it's a it, it's a little bit engineering view of of game design as well. Mm-hmm. Um, cosmetics is kind of also part of core gameplay, but uh, I guess it's uh, it's it's also semantics. Like like uh, I'm not sure if 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 that's what what uh, what what Eric means or not. Um, also, I think the Axie example is a good one. Uh, although I might not agree with all the design choices they made, I mean it definitely seems to work for them. So so uh, so so there's like a counter example right there. Hmm. But also, I, I think like to the merit of the article, I think it should be seen as okay. Here's the ultimate example, and this is how I would map it out, rather than um, like a all encompassing. Um, framework for all things nfts in games i don't think it it tries to be that at no, all. no. I, I think it's actually more focused on like these nft based economies uh, mm. like like you would have in world of warcraft or, or other games where you you can trade assets and you gather assets and, and you harvest stuff i don't know um that that's that's i think what he what he was trying to, to focus on because uh, i think but i think like as as like a counter example you could you could um have for example a, a trading card game mm-hmm. I think the rule set would look different, although it's quite easy to actually imagine a, uh, a trading card game that utilizes NFTs. Yeah, I agree. Um, and I also think we try to make it case that you know, CSGO skins would make sense as NFTs as well, um, but they just don't fit within this framework because this is not like that. Those are not a, a player-run economy, for example. Exactly. Exactly. Uh, Jan, anything to add? No, uh, I echo what what Mika and Aaron said. I would just say that. Uh, I think it's a this this piece is a great effort at creating a, a preliminary framework for how to think about NFT based economies, game economies. I think it did a phenomenal job with that regard. Um, but I echo the point where it's very dif- difficult at this particular stage to generalize for all NFT based game economies. Um, this may well be a very good, a very strong framework for the likes of Ultima, World of Warcraft, as you said, Nico, where there's you know collection, gathering, resources, the type, this type of gameplay, um, and you know it is my it is my belief that there are going to be many many translations of NFT based game economies. I think that will depend on communities, on type of games, type of experiences. Um, I think it's going to be very difficult to create just one all-encompassing framework. I think it wouldn't do justice to the level of creativity and innovation that we're going to see. However, this is a phenomenal piece for for at, at a very early stage of of this shift, um, and 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 I think he accomplished a lot already with that piece. I, I have been I've received enormous education from reading it, um, and I think it's fantastic. It it, it achieved its purpose. Uh, but very early stage to say this can be an all-encompassing framework. Uh, but you know, us humans, we love frameworks, we love lists, we need things in order. Uh, so I think you know, I totally resonate with the piece. I need order. The whole thing is kind of mind-boggling. Um, so it's great to have a certain compass as we you know build more and explore more. And I anticipate multiple uh, uh, evolutions of what Eric wrote in in the future by him or by others. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and he's a smart guy, so I'm sure he understands there's a lot of nuance to it as well. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. All right, and then we have the the final design choices that fulfill the requirements that he that he that we just talked about. So one is the non permanence of items, um, so that you let you have them decay. The derived scarcity, so basically there is one 
one source of, of real and, and fully limited scarcity, I guess. Um, so, um, and then finally, there's the intrinsic utility of, of the assets so that they should uh, have value beyond you know just pure speculation. Uh, thoughts on that? Sure, yeah, I can start it off. I mean, I, I agree that like value does need to be derived beyond speculative potential like that feels <laughs> pretty obvious it just means that you have something like foundational fundamental um you know it's your game going on um but the other elements again it, i think it just depends on the game scarcity you know in my opinion it can be overrated and land is a good example um and uh lars Doucette, he wrote a, a pretty phenomenal essay about this called land speculators will kill your game's growth and i recommend um you all go check it out. He studied um, games like Ultima Online, Final Fantasy XIV, and EVE Online, and essentially came to the conclusion that the more important scarce land is to a game, the worse the economic crisis <laughs> it faces will ultimately be. Um, and just to, to pull a quote that I thought um, was telling, he, he wrote, if everyone wants something and there's not enough of it to go around, and you need it to participate in core activities, and it gets more valuable as the population around it grows, then people are going to hold on to it until someone else pays them a stupid amount of money. Then they'll start charging rent, claiming a return not from their contribution to production, but merely from the leverage they hold as gatekeepers to necessary resources. And he goes on to say um, later that you know, games like Axie Infinity might make some of the same mistakes, but importantly, they don't have to because you can simply choose to one make land less scarce which increases supply two make it less beneficial which reduces demand um, or three and I thought this was interesting apply it like a land tax um, essentially like it taxes scarce productive assets so that only those who actively use it to productively add value to the game's economy and don't just sit on it doing nothing can afford it and it incentivizes behavior that benefits broader economies reduces deadweight loss of the economy and helps minimize speculation. So, you know, all that is to say, it depends on the game, but there are likely multiple solutions here. Degradation may be part of some solution somewhere, um, but tackling economic problems with economic solutions like a land tax um, can mean other things too. So, um, yeah, I mean, again, it's just like, it'll just depend depending on the game. You can't over framework mm -hmm. uh, something like this, but um, I think in the same way that you can get creative in what you build, you can get creative in how you solve for the sustainability of these economies and make sure that people just aren't sitting on things that are supposed to add value to the economy, but people are actually using it in a productive way. If you play with the incentives um, there, then uh, you could probably build some cool outcomes. Mm -hmm. Interesting. Mika? Maybe a bit of a sidetrack from the original requirements, uh, in, I mean, in the article. But uh, I mean, the more I think about it, I think the less there is actually to take away in terms of the design of this type of games and and the systems of these games in terms of like uh, NFTs in particular. Uh, games like Ultima Online, EVE Online, Albion, uh, they've been around for a while. And uh, they've kind of already sport these player-driven economies. And if you can make, make it work uh, without the NFTs, you should be able to make it work with the NFTs as well. That's fair. Um, I think I've been thinking about this quite a lot. And I think in the metaverse, there will be 
like two drivers of of uh, scarcity and and value and i think one is going to be like this land thing where it like some the value or, or the existence of some items is dependent on something as fully limited as land and the second one is um proof of grind as i as i think about it that's that's what i'm, I'm calling it for now i might change that which, ba which basically means that um because through NFTs, you'll be able to know or at least understand like how much time was put grinding in, in an asset. And so I think we'll see games where, you know, let, let's say it's it's a it's a medieval type game where you have to mine ores, um, smith it together, make sure that you have high enough smithing levels so you can get, you know, ingots and then use that to craft swords um, or, or a spe special items. And so I think that there's going to be games where, you know, you'll have a sword that you know, let's say a thousand hours of grind have been put into. And I think this is ultimately what's going to drive a lot of value in, in games. And I think that's also how a lot of people's are, people are going to be earning money in these games. It's because they're going to be grinding and they're going to be, um, and that's going to give value to the NFTs that they create. Um, haven't fully thought it out. Nico, you need to dig up your, uh, Smith Wealth of Nations. Yeah. Uh, and look up the value theories. Adam Smith, he, he wrote it years, hundreds of years before me. I think he actually did, That's yeah. interesting. Okay, yeah. I, I remember think, hearing that, like, in the end, everything is human time, basically. All the value in the world is basically derived from human time. Um, I remember, but I, I don't know where I read this, but I, that, that's how I think about the metaverse as well, um, in a way, or how value will, will be quantified in, in that place. Um, to the point of degradation, the more I think about it, the more I actually hate that idea. Um, and I think maybe there are some places where it can work. Like, I don't know. Yeah, if you're on scarce land, you have houses and you don't use it, like your house degrades and, you know, people can go scavenge it at some point. Um, but I, I don't know if you, you guys ever played like Zelda Breath of the Wild, but I could not stand that game because of the weapons like degrading and breaking as you, you play it. And you're just like constantly in the hunt. It would be so much oh. worse if you could, if your weapons didn't degrade. Really, I'm sure. I don't know. Well, I guess my point is like, but if, if in more of like a, like more of like an NFT driven economy, if you're starting to like pay for things and like you actually own these things, if the things that you're like buying and owning start degrading on you, like, I feel like, I don't know. I feel like that just messes up your economy. Um, I don't know. Maybe it's, it, it depends, but like I would, it can go way too far, I guess is the point I'm trying to make. I think the argument is more like if you abandon your house, it will eventually uh, degrade and not like uh, everything you own degrades as you use it. Uh, because I mean, the problem that, 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 that it's like an economic problem where there's constant supply of things, but nothing ever goes away. So everything will just inflate. Exactly. Yeah. So it's more like if you stop playing the game after one year, your account is erased and there's no way to get back. I think that's kind of the argument. Or also there's like permanent loss on death, for example. So there's some risk to it, right? You you pick out your amazing gear to like in RuneScape, go to the wilderness, you attack a dude, he kills you and you lose all your shit. That makes the game fun, you know, because it's it, the stakes are higher. Yeah, I guess it just depends, again, like how you do it. Like I would hate to like take a break from a game and come back and find that everything that I like paid for and like own has been like degraded and plummaged and like... <laughs> yeah, that's fair. You know, that's fair. Um, but yeah, I, it depends. Yeah, I get it.
I, again, this probably like the, there's good ways to design around this, but I think the fundamentals make sense. You know, where the, just to avoid this hyperinflation and this you know degradation of value of certain assets. Um, all right, let's let's move on to our, our bonus segment. We're slightly over time as expected, so we're not talking about Homa Games and their 50 million race. Although, congrats, guys, great job. Um, bonus, so bonus segments, bold predictions about game economies. Jan, I'll, I'll let you go first. Bold predictions on game economies um i believe that you know i remember reading earlier this year um in arc invest uh trends report that virtual worlds uh is going to be a big thing obviously uh and and i think she they mentioned in a report that in-game purchases will account for about 400 billion dollar market over the next few years and so um you know i i think if i look at the broader spectrum of, of you know, game uh, player-owned economies, um, you know, I, I I think we're looking at a something that is going to explode, you know, a few times beyond that. So I believe we're looking at at a trillion-plus value of of uh, transactions happening um, in 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 game economies, um, because I think what's going to happen from a human behavior perspective is we're going to completely unleash the creativity that people have in how they play game and also how they make money. Um, you know, humans are very strong at that. I think that will completely blow up what typically has been considered in-game purchases just between the platform and the player. Now you're talking about a complete, uh, um, you know, uh, fluid um, transaction behavior. And I think we're looking at, at you know, probably multiple trillions of, of, a, of a size in my, in my opinion. So that's my... That's my bold prediction, and I think that's going to happen over the next five to ten years. Nice, I like it, and kind of find it hard to disagree. I uh, I think uh, along similar lines. Mika, what's your bold prediction? I mean, already earlier this year we saw pre-revenue companies with a crypto promise to raise hundreds of millions. Uh, so there's no way that m my small brain can top that in terms of boldness. But uh, however, I do think that uh, Playable Worlds uh, with uh, Raf Koster and friends, uh, they will release the most interesting MMO of the decade. So I'll give you that. Nice. I like that. Good. Yeah, that's fun. Okay, Aaron. Um, yeah, so I mean, I guess this is more of an observation that will like make its way to a prediction of some type. But recently, um, Navik partnered with Bitcraft to publish like a report on um, just like a better way to measure the size and scale of the gaming industry because a lot of the other reports out there they just didn't include a lot of things that we thought were relevant um, but i think that that how we measure is going to continue to have to change primarily because of the rise of player-owned economies or just the rise of just more open economies in general and um, you know, very often that's not the right path for games to go down. However, I do think that people underestimate how much value is going to be publicly unlocked when game economies of well-done games become player-owned. Um, and just and I talked about this maybe a few episodes ago. Um, but so so I'll simplify it for this. But for one, when an economy becomes a market-based economy versus like a command gatekeeper-run economy, GDP increases trade goes up a lot and i think we'll see that in games and that's great but i don't what i don't think has fully clicked for many people yet is that not only do game economies grow and opened up but the way that value is measured 
also changes. In the traditional model, a game's economic value is measured in how it ultimately drives the company's bottom line. Transactions turn into revenue, they have associated costs, there are profits left over, and then the market investors value those companies based on those profits and expectations of those profits in the future. And that's a great model, and it's created enormous value for the games industry. But, but I don't think people quite fully realize is that when you start valuing games not based on profits, but on tokens or you know economic activity uh, that just like reflects the value, the full value of the underlying economies, you're going to see <laughs> some pretty huge numbers get unlocked. And, you know, it's very apples and oranges. So you can't really compare Zynga's market cap with the market cap of, you know, Axie's AXS token. Um, but the fact that they're roughly the same <laughs> shows that opening up <laughs> economies can unlock value in a way that traditional games don't. Um, easier said than done, but those who design gain economies in a way to maximize that value unlock could see the crazy results. And so, you know, we, we recently said like, Hey, like the gaming industry isn't really worth, you know, 180 billion or whatever. It's actually worth over 300 billion. Um, but I don't, but I, I don't think it's crazy to see just like over the next like three years, like 100 billion and economy unlock um, over that time span, which is a pretty huge dent in the size of the gaming industry. And, you know, if it works and this this trend really finds its footing, then, you know, I think we'll have to continue changing how we measure the size of the industry. And the largest piece of the pie is just going to be like that economic transaction um, activity between players. Um, so, mm -hmm. uh, you know, I don't I don't know what my specific prediction in that is other than just to say, like, the way we measure is just going to have to to change because the way that value is unlocked is going to be so big and such a new dimension that just yeah how we think about the industry will just have to shift a little bit mm -hmm. maybe human time has something to do there maybe we should read some more adam smith you know to figure <laughs> yeah, that out we could have a read along <laughs> yeah you could you could publish an episode that's just you reading the full book how long would that take <laughs> like a hundred hours or yeah, something like, i'm sure it would be riveting yeah 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 well it's usually like t 10 to 15 hours a good audiobook so uh but uh, i won't i won't torture you with that <laughs> Cool. All right. That's uh, actually, yeah, it's also a great prediction, Aaron. I'm, uh, I also think about that quite a lot, like how, how to compare, you know, an Axie to, to another gaming company. And uh, I think, um, yeah, we'll, we'll need to keep adapting how we see value in games uh, because that stuff is uh, it's just so fluid. And as more people start working in, in the metaverse, uh, it's, it's going to keep changing and, and increasing, obviously. Cool. All right. So that was everything. We went a bit over time, which is no problem because um, if you made it here, congrats. Great job. Hope you enjoyed it. So um, Jan, Aaron, and Mika, thanks for joining me, listener. Thanks for listening. Uh, if you want more stuff, visit navic.co or uh, join us in our Discord. This was the Metacast, and we look forward to, you, to speaking to you next week. Cheers. Cheers.